What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. And as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eigenbrett, and joined with me is the captain, Mr. Andy Full. What's going on, buddy? Ooh, uh, that's a loaded <laughs> question. There's a lot going on. But uh, no, we're hanging in there. We had a steelhead guide trip this morning. It was kind of nice. My client texted me at 4.30 in the morning, 4, 4.30 in the morning, said he was running late. So I went back to sleep before adventuring on like a six mile hike and my client hooked like 25 steelhead today it was it was a fun day it's action-packed okay well that's good then. Uh, I, yeah, I always you... could tell by your first like noise that you make how the, the uh. day goes it's either a good hoof or it's like oh. if you have you could tell if you're depressed <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no there's no depressing no depression when you're like out in the wilderness and taking it all in like that part is uh, relieving all in itself but when we're losing fish that's when i start getting uh really depressed and you get that <sighs> but no it yeah it, everything's good <laughs> just just a little tired but that's like par for the course at this point so we're hanging in there yeah. what's up with you not much man it's uh it's kind of nice in a sense to be to be done and obviously our guest today mr brent ayler who we're going to dive into uh some fishing with today, but uh, I'm sure he can <laughs> agree that he probably th- there's definitely they're they're busy this time of year, but there's less traveling is probably nice because there's less truck time for these guys for the most part. So I'm sure he can agree with the less travels is kind of nice. Where I get uh, two months here, where no work trips, no like I'm not traveling for a tournament or anything like that. I'm gonna go down to I'm gonna fly to Florida for a couple of days for Christmas, and then that's it. So it's kind of nice actually getting some home time. You know, taking fiance on some dates, kind of racking up the brownie points for when I do want to travel for the rest of the year. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's That's that time. a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, dude, tell the tell the folks, because you've been doing a, a, a freaking sick job uh, with our new show, The Lure Lab. Uh, tell the show, uh, the show, like everyone that's tuning in right now, uh, what they missed last week, if they haven't tuned okay. in, and then what's coming up for this week's episode. All right. So on Saturday's episode that passed over the past weekend, we talked about uh, verific- uh, a different version of the Alabama rig. We had Sam Rardin on, who is a guide up on Mill Lacks in Minnesota. We were talking the Minnesota rig. Minnesota has a state law where you can only have one bait on like an Alabama rig style lure. And we dove deep into detail on that. And then this Saturday coming up, we have Alex Redwine, who's coming on to talk about winter jerkbait fishing and the nuances that he enjoys using while targeting largemouth and smallmouth with the jerkbait during the winter time. That's going to no, be a fun one. going to be a good one. Because, yeah. Yeah. I need to get better at that from the pure fact that I have zero patience to throw jerkbait in the winter for the amount of like time seconds. you just need to. Yeah. Yeah. I can't 40 do 40 seconds. I can't do it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But uh, today's going to be fun because we're kind of going to go down that sort of rabbit hole in terms of the finesse side of things <laughs> because our guest today is probably one of the best in my mind uh, finesse fishermen on the planet right now. So I think without further ado, Andy, let's yeah. bring him on here. Mr. Brent Ayler, what's going on, sir? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good evening. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Easy. I'm glad it worked out and appreciate you guys having me. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. We've, we've been trying to do this show for a while because, you know, internally we have like a little group chat between Andy, Deacon, and I. And we kind of like, th- we try to like 
we're very lax in terms of how we run things, but we do try to have like some sort of strategy and like who we're going to bring on coming up and trying to work together to get guests on. And we're, we've been probably saying for the past couple of months, like we do we need to get Brent, do we need to get Brent? And cause we obviously have like that. We have a connection outside on the, on the work side with, with X2. And yep. I've been very fortunate for that, but I'm like, man, I've been mean to get Brent on. I'm like, I'll text him tomorrow and I'll forget. And then it's like, I finally remembered like, okay, I'm going to text him right now. We'll get him on the show because dude, I've been wanting to pick your brain for a very long time because Andy and I are both finesse guys. So we're, we're excited to, to tap into that uh, brain. Dude, of well, I love it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, perfect timing. You know, this is off season and uh, not much happening right now. I'm, I'm coming up to getting my boat here pretty quick. So I'll be back on the water. I mean, I, I've honestly uh, really only fished a few days since uh, <laughs> September, the final event in Mille Lacs. Uh, I've only fished two days since since then, and it was for a cup event, uh, the team you know cup event uh, with Major League Fishing. So I haven't been on the water, and you know really the the fishing is pretty tough out here where I live. I mean I'm in Southern California, a lot of small city lakes. Um, it gets really tough. You know it's I remember uh, years ago before I started fishing nationally, I used to fish a lot of tournaments out here, so. Um, I would be out at my local lake, which is Lake Paris, and um, I was so sick of not catching anything that I started fishing live bait. And, you know, at the time, we could use crawdads. And so I went out, I'd, I'd fly line crawdads out there, which we can't anymore because it's California and they won't let us do stuff like that. Um, <laughs> crawdads and night crawlers. And it was funny because I went from catching two a day to catching 20 or 30 a day. And then I had a tournament coming up, and I went, oh, man. I don't know how to catch them without, you know, using live bait. <laughs> so uh, I had to go back into that, you know, mode of only catching a couple of fish a day to go fish a tournament. And uh, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, to, to see that the difference, you know, those fish are still there. They just do not want to bite the artificial stuff. Yeah. So I know like there's definitely like a, st- uh, a stigma amongst bass anglers from like this, like using live bait type of deal. But I definitely think there's something to be said of, from like just trying to learn fish behavior and fish patterns that mm-hmm. live bait is obviously way better at getting the job done most of the time than, than our artificials. Um, yeah. I, we've talked about it on the show before, uh, but I have a buddy on Lake Chickamauga that uh, we were like, we went and fished a specific stretch with artificials, didn't catch anything like nothing and went, my buddy cast netted uh, live gizzard, Chad, we go through and within 15 minutes, my buddy had two over 10. And it was just like, it's just kind of goes to show like we are missing way more fish that are there that we don't even realize. Like you might go to that stretch like, ah, I don't think they're here when, uh, yeah, jokes on you, buddy. (laughs) They're they're there. (laughs) It's wild what live bait can do, man. For sure. For sure. It's, it's it's crazy. The difference. And, you know, it, it actually, you know, this was going on 20 years ago that I did this and, uh, it did teach me a lot. It was kind of funny because I had that, tournament coming up and what i noticed is that so what i would do is i'd take these these night crawlers and i'd pin them on a drop shot and i'd pin them wacky rig on a drop shot and i'd throw them out on a structure spot and i didn't really know i go well do i just sit here and hold it like i'm fishing for catfish do i work it a little bit i didn't really know what to do so you know i dead sticked it for a long time i, I know these structure spots and i cast it out there and i mean it was very first cast i throw it out there and i remember just trying to decide what I'm going to do. And 
it sat there for about 30 seconds, a minute. And I just lifted it and I gave it one little jiggle and I let it sit back down and my line jumped like that. And, uh, and I caught one. So then I started doing that. And that's how I started catching this with these night crawlers. But when I wouldn't catch one, I would reel it in. And that night crawler would be 10, 12 inches long, you know, that was wacky rig. When he's in the water, they string out. I am not joking. They are that long. Jeez. And so when uh, this tournament rolled up, I talked to a buddy of mine that uh, Derek Raider, he owned a company back in the day, the day called Raider Baits. It was a garage hand pour deal that he did. And I go, hey, do you have any long, skinny worms? He goes, no, but tell you what. He goes, I can take our six inch and pull it out of the mold before it's cured and stretch them. So he took these six inch straight tailed, you know, hand poured worms while they were still warm and just went like this and made them like a 12 inch long worm. And he shows up at the tournament, he hands me a Ziploc bag full of these things. And I go out and I, I roll up on one of my spots that I've been catching them on the live night crawlers. And I mean, I pin that thing on just like I did the night crawler. I throw it out there and I just let it sit on the bottom for like 30 seconds, a minute. I lift it and just jiggle it for a second. I let it sit there. I count to like 30, you know, or a minute. I lift it and jiggle it and I drop my rod tip. My line goes boink, just like that. And I was the only guy <laughs> to limit that day. And I caught everyone fishing just like a night crawler. So Interesting. it taught me something, you know, those fish are there, but they like it really, really slow, you know, in the wintertime like that. And I haven't really fished that way, you know, since then or going, you know, on tour and running back East because, I show up on a lake that I've never been to before. I don't know if the spot's good or not. So I can't afford to do something like that. You know, you could be fishing that on the wrong spot and not catch them. So, you know, it's different than that. But I, I knew that they were there because I'd been catching them and, you know, it gave me the confidence to try it. And like I said, I was the only guy in, in that tournament to have a limit. And I think the next person had maybe three fish. Uh, it's a team tournament, two guys fishing it, you know, at a time. And, and uh, I finished second, the guy that won had a, a 10 pounder that he caught on a swim bait. And, or I think he might've had three, he had a 10 and two twos and uh, beat me by, you know, a pound, you know, something like that. Like yeah. He caught that 10 pounder. And, you know, back then that was the deal in these team tournaments is that you to win a single day team tournament in these lakes here, they used to stock trout. So you had to, catch that 10 pounder on swim bait. Otherwise you're going to win. Now, granted, if it was a two day tournament or a three day tournament, the guy's going to get that bite once and he's not going to win the tournament. But on a single day tournament, the guy that wins is always the one that catches that 10 pounder on the swim bait. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, but same thing. California, they don't stock anymore. So we can't throw swim baits anymore. Such a, bu- why did it, why does it have to be a buzzkill? Like why do we have to ruin the fun things in life? <laughs> You know, it's I, I guess in these lakes they, they're considered an invasive species. Same thing with crawdads and same thing with water dogs. You know, we used to be able to fish that stuff and I've never fished a water dog, but they used to be legal to fish those things and that's how guys caught a lot of real big ones out, out here in the wintertime is they Carolina rig those big water dogs. I mean they'd catch ten pounders all day. Wow. What is a water dog? Don't mind me. It's like an underwater salamander lizard thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a like mud a, puppy. Look it up; they're kind of crazy. Salamander, or a, a, yeah. a water dog. Yeah, look them up. They have like these weird gills. Yeah, and they have a, a flat paddle tail, almost like a a, a polywog. 
but they're real soft. I mean, they're just a whoa, little meaty. You know, it's like a big giant goby almost. I can't believe you've never seen one of those, Bailey. They're I've they're around up here. I didn't yeah. know they're called Water Dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's such a cool name. That's such a cool name. Look at those gills off the side. Look at that thing. <laughs> that thing is wild. Oh, you're eating all these Portuguese. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Just put in water dog, water lizard or something. I don't know. That's wild. Yeah, we get the point. We get the point. <laughs> I think that's wild. Okay. Well, that's, that's what I call uh, seals in the ocean right now. I call them water dogs. <laughs> they're just basically a dog that lives in the water. I have I have heard that reference for for seals, and <laughs> that would actually make sense. <laughs> that was cool. So so this like that specific scenario, like taking this night crawler that you use, translating that to a worm that you had, you know, poured and all that jazz. Is that kind of the route that you've taken to? Because in my mind, I think you're probably one of the best and most notable finesse fishermen on tour right now. Is that kind of the, the sprinkles that started? That or is that just because it's like this Western movement for a finesse fishing standpoint? You know, I just think that where I live, that was what we did, you know, for a long time. We just, uh, we threw a split shot, you know, that was the only way to catch them. And, and you throw these little hand poured three inch reapers, you know, on a split shot rig. And then, you know, then the drop shot came out and, you know, really the West coast is where it, it really took off. You know, we learned it from a lot of the Japanese anglers that came over, to fish the U.S. Open. They're the ones that threw the drop shot. They're the ones that showed us, and they're the ones that caught fish behind us when we were, you know, fishing out at Lake Mead. So, you know, we picked it up that way just based on what they did, and, and they're the ones that taught us. You know, I, I I, just – I learned to throw a drop shot from from a lot of these Japanese anglers that I fished with or, you know, have ties with the sponsorship, and, and uh, you know, really they're the ones that taught us. So – where I live, that was how we fished, you know, Northern California. You look at guys like Skeet and Ish Monroe, you know, they grew up fishing around Clear Lake and Delta. So they're kind of like those power fishermen. I didn't, you know, I grew up in Southern California where the small, you know, reservoirs that were tough fishing. Like I said, you go out right now and, you know, I, I haven't been out, but, you know, it's, it's not very good there. Uh, I did go, I worked a, a weigh in for my, uh, boat dealership anglers marine they're out of anaheim they had a anglers uh boat owners tournament meaning that if you if you bought a boat from anglers marine then you could fish this tournament and it was out on diamond valley and there were 70 some boats and there was one limit caught out of 70 boats out of diamond valley so that's just the way it is out here it's really tough you know you go out and i can't tell you how many days i've i've gone out you know, this time of year, I catch two or three all day. So it's, it's kind of a weird time to go fishing out here. So, you know, finesse, slow down, small baits, fish really slow. That's kind of what we have to do right now. That's wild. So but I, you know, that's probably why I'm more comfortable with it. You know, when I'm going and fishing back East, but you know, those, I don't do a lot of the techniques that I really did out here. I've never done that thing of, you know, casting the bait out and letting it sit there for a minute and jiggle it once and let it sit for another minute. You know, that's something specific here in my own way. Um, but right. back East, you know, I'm comfortable with a, with a spinning rod and throwing a shaky head or a drop shot or, you know, things like that. I'm comfortable with that. Right. So you mentioned something earlier that kind of piqued my interest and I, I'm really curious to ask this. 
you, you mentioned how like with certain sponsors, how you can kind of tap into the connections overseas, like in Japan and different things like that. You've got, I, I'm not asking you by any means to say or expose anything, but like you definitely got some stuff up your sleeve that you've, that no one's seen over here. Like, are you able to just say yes or no if you got some like sneaky juice that's over there that no one knows about over here? You know, I, I don't. That's the funny thing. You know, I'm so far removed from, from all the trick stuff right now. I usually hear about it later. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I will give you an example of my first season on tour. Uh, we were at – I started off not great. In this, this was in 05 with the FLW Tour. We had two back-to-back tournaments in Florida. I finished in the 100 – something place in one i finished in the 70 something in the other and the the third tournament was the third tournament was in louisiana it on the watchtaw river and i finished 170th out of 200 guys i have i have 120th a 70th and 170th my first three events fishing nationally on the flw tour and after that, that one, that complete bomb there in Louisiana, I go, man, I'm, I'm out of my league. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I just, this is not what I should be doing. I, I, I bit off more than I can chew. And the next event was at Beaver Lake in Arkansas, which is a clear water reservoir. And the shaky head is a big deal there. Well, I go, man, these guys have no clue what's about you know, I had a plot drop shot with the three color road worm, you know, the hand pour and go out there. These guys have no idea what's going to hit them. And man, I struggled for the first two days of practice. And I was rooming with Art Berry. And Art goes, he comes into the room run one night and he goes, Bro, he goes, I had like 50 bites today. I'm like, Gosh dang. I go, Yeah, I had like five all day. You know, were three. He goes, you throwing the shaky head at all? And I go, no, I'm throwing the drop shot. He goes, shaky head, eighth ounce jig head with a you know, just a green pumpkin trick worm, you know, or or finesse worm. I'm like, no, I got a road worm. He goes, bro, listen. So I rig up a shaky head and I go out and I have like 30 bites the next day. So, you know, it's kind of funny that it's the basic stuff and your confidence is what you catch them on. Um, I don't have any of these trick things that people don't know about. I'm throwing the same stuff that other guys are. The, the nice thing about that is that I'm able to kind of uh, – I'm able to pack easier, you know, for my trips now. I don't have to have all this trick stuff with me on tour. It's easy for me to go back and fish my strengths, you know, know what, what I'm comfortable with doing. You know, if I'm going to flip, you know, I'm going to go and, and, and flip a, a Yamamoto flapping hog. If, if I'm going to go in shallow crank, I'm going to throw one Lucky Craft 1.5. Mm-hmm. that's just the way it goes you know i'm gonna have a senko tied on for a bunch of stuff a texas rig a wacky rig a naco rig you know i keep it simple really that's just how it is and i don't think that any of those trick baits are going to outfish a guy fishing his confidence bait in the right area if that makes sense oh yeah definitely does i, I always but i've always just had this andy can confirm i just have this weird intrigue around the Japanese culture when it comes to bass fishing and just like someone like yourself that has like a Daiwa lucky craft that can tap into like a, a potentially a source overseas, like these Japanese anglers that, cause like we keep seeing all this wild stuff happen where people like, like from coming from Japan that like, they're like, no way that works. And then we watch, you know, Taku 
that comes out with something we've never seen before and it just waxes everybody on it. Like it's, I don't know. I, I had to ask cause I was very curious, but um, I, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff out there that I don't know about that. I, I could potentially be more effective with, but I'm just, I'm, it seems like I'm the last guy to hear about the trick stuff anymore. So, you know, it's kind of <laughs> one of those things where I'm going and doing my thing and, you know, like, like let's take the Alabama rig, for example, I saw that thing a good eight months before, uh, uh, before you know came to light you know when uh, when Paul won that tournament uh, I saw it a good eight months prior and uh, my buddy Jonathan Newton's house he lives out there in Florence Alabama you know right there on the Tennessee River and I go what is that thing he goes oh they call that the Alabama rig he goes it's great on schooling fish and I go does it work and he goes oh yeah man you put in a school and you came it's great he goes do you want one I go no that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen <laughs> <laughs> then you know, fast forward, you know, six eight months. Paul Elias wins the tournament with 120 pounds or something, and just crushed everybody. And then, you know, look at what happened since then. So much has happened because of that Alabama rig. And I said it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, I think it was. I'm trying to remember where I heard it. Um, I think it was Kevin Van Dam that was saying something on the lines of like he was brought the Ned rig before the Ned rig was out, and how he said it was the dumbest thing. And then everyone like small mouth wise is catching them on the net rig but yeah it's it's kind of funny i think I feel like a lot of people feel like they're in that that circle of like hey, i'm the last to hear about these techniques and it, it might almost mean it almost might be like this mental like blockage that we have as anglers when we have a confidence rolling with a set of techniques where it's like yeah that looks cool it's new but like i don't see where i'd apply it i'm catching them the way i'm catching them now and then mm-hmm. you don't think about adding it or like somebody like yourself where a lot of your travels throughout the year are on tournaments. So you don't really have you know, time per se to go and experiment with something completely new, if that makes any sense. Maybe that uh, makes, makes a ton of sense. And, and, you know, that's another thing that I've done is I've, I've tried some trick stuff that I've thought about and, you know, not that someone has told me it wasn't something that I learned from Japan. You know, there's a couple of things that I've tried, but man, when you're on the clock, I mean, with, with the Bass Pro Tour, I only get two days of practice, which, two days of practice is really one and three quarters because I have to get off the water at a certain time on that final day. And if I'm fishing the next day, I have to get off even earlier so I can finish all my tackle before it gets dark. So really when you're out there, you're on a lake that you haven't fished, you don't know where the spots are. You're going out and now you're trying a bait that you've never tried before. You've never heard it's ever worked before. You've never seen it before, but it's something that you've tried or something that I've tied, you know, different things if they don't bite it on the first cast, it's hard for me to make a second one. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good point too. If you don't catch anything like right away on a new bait, like you lose all confidence and that's right. ever going to catch them, oh. which actually that. So, so go ahead, Andy. I was say it's just a giant waste of time. And when you only have a day and a half to figure out what the heck is going on to yeah. make a second cast, you might as well pick up something that's simple. Bass are fish. Fish have two reasons to be alive and that's to make more fish and to eat. So simplicity will catch you more bass in most situations. So that's just my personal opinion. So I did see one thing that intrigued me. I wanted to ask about when I was making the thumbnail for this episode, there's a picture on major league fishing. If you holding up a Zayco with a tungsten bullet weight and a flipping hook. Mm-hmm. And I think, I feel like I've seen some, somebody do something similar in terms of like the, the bait on this, on that kind of rig, like maybe like it was a swim bait or like a easy swimmer type of deal in Florida. But like, what made you think of of like a Zayco? Like, where, where are you fishing that specific technique? So that I like uh, sight fishing with. Uh, oh, I use okay. that as like a little bluegill kind of 
you know, shaped fish. And there's something about that bait on a bed. The fish, they bite it really, really well. Mm. And, you know, when the Zaco first came out, uh, Brett Height and I were the ones that were really experimenting with that thing. You know, we had that thing before anybody else did. And we had a tournament where they were spawning. Uh, I want to say it was at Bull Shoals. It was a Bass Elite event. And the water was high. They were spawning and they were in the bushes a little bit. And, you know, we kind of got on that pattern of sight fishing with it when we saw them. But then, shoot, you just start pitching that thing in the bushes like you would any kind of other, you know, creature bait. And they were biting it as well. You know, it falls like a tube, really. And, but on the bottom, it's that fork tail. You, know, you, you dive that, that fork tail chartreuse, and really, it's, it seems like it gets the fish you know, that are on a bed more you know, aggravated quicker than they do on you know, a standard Texas rig or creature bait or something. To me, I think they look at it as, as, as it's a bluegill, and they want it out there as fast as possible. That's super cool. I My wheels think. are turning. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I saw that picture. It What's that? Yeah, it's a good bait. Twenty pound, you know, twenty pound fluorocarbon sunline, and I just rig like a quarter ounce arc tungsten weight on there and pitch it around. You know, if they're if they're actively on the bed, then that's the that's the bait that I like to pitch on them. Uh, it just seems like they bite it faster than other baits. That's huh. cool. I was sitting there, I'm like, why isn't he throwing like a weighted EWG? And like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, in your like my brain, I'm like, that's a chatterbait trailer. What is he doing? And I I had to ask. My, my wheel, like, and you're saying the wheels are turning. I'm like, I gotta ask. but uh oh for sure um and i was today years old when i realized you can if you put it on a chatterbait sideways and then twist it at the nose that it's like you don't need super glue for it to have it on if you have a keeper a lot better yeah 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 i didn't i had no idea that was a thing until someone said it to me like i think literally yesterday um (laughs) yeah um so kind of talking about the, the deal when it comes to you on tournaments um you know say in practice are you starting out trying a power technique or are you going straight to to finesse get bites and kind of accelerate the process like how does that how does that work for you in terms of tournament practice yeah it definitely varies you know there's no one set kind of game plan you know you kind of have to take in uh the time of year where you're at you know there's a lot of different scenarios that go into it Typically, I like to try and fish fast early on just to cover as much water as I possibly can. Um, you know, a good rule of thumb is to is to run a reaction bait, whether it's a you know 1.5 or uh, a chatter bait, something like that, to cover ground and find these areas that are you know certain areas that have more fish in it. And then you know, when you come back into those certain areas for the tournament, then you know, let's say you go through or a bunch of guys are fishing there or something, or maybe you see an isolated piece of structure. You know, that's where you pull out that slower moving bait, whether it's a Texas rig or, you know, wacky rig or, you know, that, that weightless Senko kind of a thing. It just really depends, you know, and then you have to take into account how good the fishing is. If the fishing's good, then there's a good chance you can run reaction baits the whole time. If it's really slow, then sometimes you have to slow down. And, and then, you know, there's that weird transition where if it's really slow, I almost think that sometimes you can catch more on a reaction bait than you can moving something slow because sometimes they need to react to bite it. You know, and the water is really, really cold. You know, it's our first tournament of the year last year. I did terrible, but uh, it was in Louisiana. It snowed in practice. We had one day of practice. It snowed. 
Um, the only bites I had, I had four bites that day and I caught every one of them on a 1.5. I tried flipping. I tried, you know, doing a bunch of stuff, never had a bite, you know, and in the tournament I had to go back and I caught one fishing slow the first day. And then the second day of practice, I, th- I think I caught them all cranking and throwing chatterbait. So, you know, really there's that weird fine line between slowing down your bites when it's tough or staying fast to get those reactions because, you know, especially in a tournament like that where we had one day of practice, it's hard to catch anything. Sometimes you just have to just roll in just fish areas. You know, I, I think on the second day of that tournament, I started in an area I had not been to before, which is hard to do in a tournament. You know, it's, you normally go to what you think, but when you fish all day on day one through everything that you've learned in practice, and you catch one, what do you do the next day? You just wing it and go somewhere. And, and that's what I did. And I ended up catching them you know, better than I did the first day and, uh, you know, winding a lot more, you know, fishing something moving, fishing a 1.5 and fishing a chatterbait, different things. But, you know, really sometimes it's, like I said, there's that weird fine line between slowing down to get the bites versus speeding up to get the bites. Yeah. And I, I think like what you mentioned, it's, that's a lot of instinct, but I, I always get so curious about, about it. Cause I, I think there was, there's an article that MLF, I think it was MLF that posted it. Uh, Spencer Shuffield recently, I think that he was saying something along the lines of like for offshore fishermen that like, I can't, um, don't take me verbatim here, but it was something along the lines of like finesse fishing from an offshore offshore standpoint would always win tournaments, something along the lines of that. Um, that's, why, that's why I wanted to bring it up. The fact that I think it's a, it's an interesting conversation. Because I feel like it always, always plays regardless of where we're at. We always see somebody, I mean, a drop shot is always, I feel like for people in a top 10, regardless of location is, is on deck for folks. Um, so I feel like it, there's always a way to win on finesse, but like to your point, like there's always the flip side of like power fishing, fishing faster where that could also be better than slowing down and, and lightening up the line. But um, yeah, do you have a, a, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, we have a few questions, but if you're going to say something, um, let it rip, and then we'll get into a couple of questions here. No, go for it. Let's jump into some questions. Okay. We have one uh, from Jim here that says, I think Brent is a big fan of sprout bend hooks. I I don't know what sprout bend is. Maybe you know. Um, He says, talk a bit about hook bends and when to use the different types. Great question. That is a great question. Um, So I – I think that sprout bend is, I, I have always called it like that O'Shaughnessy bend. Okay. If you look at, uh, Gamagatsu has, uh, it's a straight shank worm hook. They also have a offset worm head, uh, offset worm hook that has that O'Shaughnessy bend to it. And it's not just a standard round bend hook point. It has that. It's almost like the hook point is turned in just a hair toward the shank of the hook. So, uh, Roboworm has taken that Gamagatsu straight shank worm hook and they put their uh, keeper on it and they call it the rebarb. You know, they put mm-hmm. that shrink tubing on there. That rebarb hook has that O'Shaughnessy bend to it. And that is a fish landing bend. You know, it's, it's, it's very effective. Now um, they don't make it in the heavier flipping style hook. So when I go to the actual, actual flipping hook, then I go with just their standard straight shank flipping hook, you know, that, uh, um, 
on my the heavy cover flipping. Mm-hmm. It's just straight shank hook. It has just a slight O'Shaughnessy bend to it. And, you know, to me, that is just a fish landing hook. So um, you look at the, the stinger hook that I did, uh, that I've done with Gamagatsu, has that same bend. But, it, you know, we use it for a drop shot. We use it for a wacky rig. But it has that O'Shaughnessy bend. Um, you know, with Aaron Martin's working with him, you know, he knew that hook was so, you know, so good. They came out with that G finesse treble hook. So that G finesse treble hook, it's not a true EWG. You know, a lot of those EWG trebles, they come out and they have just that hard, like mm-hmm. 90 degree turn that goes to that hook point. It's more of a relaxed turn. So it's a, it's kind of that in between of a EWG bend, but it's more rounded getting there. Again, it's just a fish landing, uh, you know, hook. So when I go to those trebles, that's, almost the only treble I use anymore. You know, I'll use some round bends for a few things, but when it goes to trebles, you know, if you're cranking, it just seems like I've landed way more fish on a jerk bait, on a crankbait, using that chief finesse that has that sprout style kind of O'Shaughnessy bend to it. So is that, that slight bend back in, is that supposed to be like when that hook is rotating through a fish's mouth where it, if it's more straight, like a round bend, like it's easier to come off from a round bend. Whereas that, if it curves in, it gives it something to stop against. Does that make sense? Correct. So if you think about, you know, a hook, you know, just a, a round bend hook, if you can take that hook and turn it in a little bit more, it traps them a little bit more. If this is the hook point, if it's round like this, it can come off easier than if it comes in a little bit. It just seems like it, it when it gets in past the barb, it has a harder time to rock out, if that makes sense. So yeah. Uh, to me, it's just, it's a fish landing bend. Really. It, it honestly is, you know, you can believe me, you can hook fish on every, every bend out there, but if you want to land more, you use that style of hook. Does that affect how you set the hook or, uh, does it, does it affect that at all in terms of having that rolled in? Like, do you have to be softer or lean more than, okay. No, I, I don't do anything different. Um, I fish it exactly the same way I've done, you know, everything else. Um, I think that when it comes to, you know, crankbait or different things, jerkbait, uh, you know, especially with that, uh, that G finesse, it takes very little pressure to actually get uh, a hook penetration. You know, that, that G finesse hook, not only is it, it's thinner, but it's rigid. So it doesn't flex. It doesn't bend. But then it has that, that coating on it that's actually slicker than like a nickel. So it's actually like a, it's a stiffer, thinner hook that's lubricated, if that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. It takes very little pressure to land this fish. So, so what I've done, you know, especially with a jerk bait is we have a a six, nine top water jerk bait ride under the Tatula elite series rods. It's it's called the small top water jerk bait rods, a six, nine medium light action rod. Um, that I've started throwing that. I'm telling you, I've landed way more fish on a jerkbait going to the G finesse and then going to that rod than I ever have in my entire career. There's something about it. When one gets that jerkbait, it's almost a guarantee he's getting in the boat. And I believe it's because of that hook and it's because of that diver rod. There's something about that lighter action rod. You don't need to get a lot of pressure on that fish to hook himself, you know, a lot of times people use too heavy of an action of a rod with a jerkbait. So 
when you're snapping that jerk bait, one gets it, you're snapping it and you feel it where your, your reaction is to immediately pull on it. So you snap, you hook them when you do that. When you snap and feel them, you pressure and pull on that. All you're doing is opening up that wound in his mouth where those hooks are and give him a better chance of actually backing those hook out you know, when he's jumping. So mm. having that shock absorber of that real lightweight rod is, has really changed the way I've caught him. Same thing with topwater. I use that same rod for topwater. It doesn't matter if it's a big topwater or it's a little bitty thing. I can throw that same exact rod, and I've been landing more because of it. Hmm. That's intriguing. That's one thing we always talk about on this platform is the equation, the equation of rod, reel, line, hook, like – if there's something's one thing's out of place, the other, everything kind of falls into cahoots, you know, where it's yeah. just, yeah, that's super intriguing. I feel like this is a trend. I don't know. I could be wrong, but like a trend in terms of just softer rods where like, I feel like everyone used to be like the seven foot mediums or two heavier of actions where obviously technology's advanced now in terms of like being able to create those minute differences, but it's kind of it's definitely interesting on the, from a treble hook standpoint, or even like chatterbaits, how much that has changed in terms of softer rods. It's, it's yeah, softer rod, glass rod is is a big key for you know for me cranking and, and chatterbait as well. You, know, you need to have that glass rod. You'll land way more fish, and it has to do with you know reacting to that bite. You know, you mm-hmm. react too aggressively to that bite, you're gonna you're gonna lose more fish. Have that dampening effect with that glass, you'll end up landing a lot more. So you a glass guy for chatterbaits? Hundred percent, yeah. Glass for that and anything cranking. The only reason why I don't use it for a jerkbait and a topwater is a jerkbait topwater. You're snapping it all day long, and that glass is a little bit heavier, <laughs> and it'll wear out. You, know, you get those big Popeye forearms wearing that, yeah. that thing all day. So uh, that's why I've gone to that real lightweight six nine medium light action tattoo elite for that snare. And you can snap that thing all day long, you know, and, and and it's it's nothing. You can fish it. You don't get any fatigue from it. It's very lightweight. Mm-hmm. And you land more fish too. But you know, when it comes to the chatterbait, I actually designed a rod uh, under that Tattoo Elite series rod. It's a it's a seven four medium heavy action glass rod. Mm-hmm. And you know, the chatterbait is notorious for losing them, but that glass rod, you will land more. Mm-hmm. So, You're making Andy's day right now. Yeah, me and Bailey have had this debate for like two years now. I feel like what's better, composite or glass for a chatterbait? I am 100% on board with the glass rod. Like, yeah, there's nothing it. better. Nothing like better. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I think I've gone through like eight different chatterbait rods in like the past two years just trying to find something I like. I, I did. What was it? It was what the Daiwa. Type yeah. H, the but, tech yeah. warehouse first version that was designed after like that evergreen Hercules mm-hmm. Leopold rod, but it was like 140 bucks. That yeah. rod was awesome. <laughs> I love I that tried, rod. I honestly haven't tried that one, you know, because I, under the Tactical Elite line, I designed one for mm-hmm. throwing a, a, mm-hmm. a chatterbait and a 2.5. So, I mean, when we had that, I just, I've never looked back. Yeah. yeah. I, that for, Folks that are out there, we're actually um, one thing I mentioned. Oh, well, I failed to mention in the introduction. We got to uh, mention in the outro, but there is a a Daiwa giveaway going on at Omni Fishing. I put the link down below. But if anyone's looking for like not like just your basic lineup of rods, but not also not like your crazy spending three hundred dollars on a, on, a, on a rod, but like the Tatula series, dude. I've had a few for like for like what 120, 170 bucks in that range. Am I hitting that on the head? Yeah, I think they're. 
you know, high one, high two, depending on, uh, there's some on that line that we have the AGS guides on the AGS guides are carbon fiber guides. Uh, so the price is going to go up with those things, but it's, it's for a reason, you know, those guides that are on there, no one else, uh, you know, no one or other manufacturers have those because Daiwa is making those guides. Mm -hmm. The whole string of guides on that AGS rod is going to weigh the same amount as the biggest guide on another rod, like a titanium guide. So really, really light. So anytime you decrease the weight, you're going to increase sensitivity. So when you get to those, you know, that tattoo elite line with the AGS guides, the air guide system, they are going to be about 75 to a hundred dollars more for that. Yeah. I think those rods are like two seventy nine ninety nine. I believe. Yep. Yeah. So, but it's, man, it's, it's a great, you know, lineup. I mean, it's, it wasn't, you know, Hey, here's these rods with your name on them. It was, you know, we worked on these things for probably two years before they came to market Mm -hmm. and every guy on the team has, you know, a handful of rods, you know, that are uh, technique specific, you know, so Ish has a a flip stick and a frogging rod. Um, You know, I have a drop shot rod. That's a spinning rod. I have a, the cranking rod that we talked about, the 7.4, that's a chatterbait rod. I have a 7.2 that's a medium action that's great for a 1.5 and any kind of small, medium crankbait. So, you know, we came up with a line and, and it was, hey, we want, you know, I want a 7.2 for, for the medium action cranking rod. And Ish says, I want a 7.6, I want an 8, I want a 7.4 for the frog rod, whatever it is. Everyone said, this is what I want. This is the handle length I want. I want this many guides. I mean, it was top to bottom ins and outs that we wanted on that rod and they came to market with them. So mm-hmm. um, it's great. You know, for me, I'm not, you know, I, I love throwing a frog, but I'm not a specialist at it. So, you know, if I'm going to go do it, I want to pick up a, the, you know, the Ishman row frog rod, because that's what he's a specialist at. I want to mm-hmm. know that's what, you know, a guy that knows what he's doing, that's how he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for me to do that. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of nice that they have them like that. And, you know, there's, there's some great rods in that lineup and I've never looked back. I mean, it's funny because Daiwa makes the Steez line, which is, you know, the best of the best. And people ask me all the time, you know, what's my favorite Steez rod? And I go, I don't know. I only use the Tattoo Elite. So I don't even know anymore. You know, I just, I'm so comfortable with that, that series of rods that I don't need to use that, you know, crazy high dollar, you know, rod to, to go yeah. and you know, accomplish the task. I'm, I'm going to take a step back to a slight pass with Daiwa. When I first started bass fishing, the first three rods I had were Daiwa Light and Toughs. Yeah, there you go. Which is what now the LT series, I think, basically is what it is in rods, right? Kind of like transmitted into a lot Uh of the newer technology. Like that weird foregrip, weird foregrip on them. Those rods were awesome from like the mid-2000s. I I had some of those too. They were great, you know. And even prior to that, they they had the whole Team Daiwa lineup you know, years ago, I mean, I was, I was a teenager when team Dio was around and that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And, you know, there was a whole line of guys, you know, Brower and, and Cochran and, you know, all these guys up there, you know, Brower had his flipping stick, you know, and it was in that, you know, kind of the end of that team Dio that kind of transitioned to that LT series, the light and tough. And I mean, I had all of those, that was, that was the coolest, you know, rod and reel package out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Andy and I have talked a bunch about because we've both owned the Tatula rod lineup, even from like the XTs and everything. And it's like the the actions though are just that they, they've nailed it. Like for, yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I mean, we could probably go on for a while. We actually have some funny Daiwa questions coming in. Uh, Anthony Geis here says, the Daiwa parties must be bangers. I love to see Ish and Tak getting wild. <laughs> oh, jeez. That one was just hilarious. That's like two, the, the complete opposite on the spectrum between Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. Huh. Um, but he had a cool question, though, of how did the union of you and Daiwa begin? Um, so what, what's interesting is that I, I've used the Daiwa spinning reels from day one. You know, I've, I've always liked their spinning reels. I mean, even when I worked with, with other brands, I was still running their spinning reels because they were so good. Um, when I was a kid, maybe 13 or 14, I started off with that. They actually still make it today. Uh, it's the SS 1300. It's, it's a black reel with a gold spool and they still make it today. And that was one of the coolest reels back in the day. Um, but they've always had the best drag on the market. So that's one reason why I've always used their reels. Um, and then, so a friend of mine, Kurt Arakawa, he was working for Jackal Bates for, for a long time. And I got to know him through Jackal and cut some of the shows out West. He's a, he's a West coast guy. Well, he was the original one. He was working for Daiwa. He was part of the whole team thing back day was, you know, so cool to me. Left Iowa, started working for Jackal, and then left Jackal and went back to uh, Iowa. And so he approached me. You know, he's a buddy of mine. He goes, "Hey, I'm back with with Iowa now, and you know, would really like to talk to you about uh, you know running our rods and reels here in, in the future." And you know, really, it was because of Kurt. He got me involved, and I mean, it's been uh, when I first talked to him. Uh, he goes, you know, what do you think of the product line? I go, well, you guys have the best high end, you know, equipment out there. You know, they have the Steez line, but I go, it's just, it's twelve, fourteen hundred dollars for a rod and reel combo. I go, you guys really need a good, you know, budget, you know, uh, product. No, I mean, not a budget product, but one that a guy can, can spend, you know, three, four hundred dollars on and get a really good rod instead of fourteen hundred. And he goes, well, he goes, that's coming. He goes, we've got this new line called the Tatula series that's going to be coming out next year. He goes, I want you to come on board and, and try out these reels. And, um, you know, that was it. You know, they came out with that Tatula series, the first ones that had the T-wing system, which is the, the level wind on the front. You know, it's, it's revolutionary. It's, it's a big deal for casting because you think about a standard level wind that is on the front of that bait casting reel. When you cast, your line is trying to run through that level wind. Well, it creates a lot of friction going through that level wind and it slows your line down. When it slows your line down, that spool is over rotating. When the spool over rotates, it creates a backlash. The T-wing system, you push the thumb bar, it has that standard level wind, but when you push the thumb bar, it folds down. When it folds down, it opens up to a bigger level wind. So there's less friction. You get better casting distance. You have fewer backlashes. I thought it was a great concept. You know, I jumped on with them. I love those reels. They were amazing. And, and we've just, we've, you know, moved forward every year. I and mean, that's, shoot, that's Daiwa's whole uh, slogan is moving forward. You know, that's kind of that DVEC. I don't know if you've seen that Daiwa DVEC logo. That really is kind of an arrow in a sense of just moving forward. It's it's not being stuck in the past. We're moving forward and, and creating new, new products out there and, and being kind of the leader in the market. I've been, uh, Fortunate to be involved uh, with that process from the beginning of the Tattoo of the Series. That's super cool. I mean, 
I think there's something to be said and something super cool. And like, it's definitely gotta be a lot of pride uh, on your end being with somebody for that long. Like what, when, when you are with them for that long and you have that much investment from a product design standpoint, like it's not really, I always have this weird thing with the, the word sponsor. I feel like at that point, it's just, it's a partner. Like it's not even really, you're both investing the same amount in each other. It's really mm-hmm. what they got to feel like for you. That's, that's pretty cool. For sure. And, it, and you know, it's, they're, they're a company that you can stand behind. You know, it's, they have such a good product. Like I said, it was for a number of years there. I, I used their, their spinning reels, even though I was using other bait casters, I was using their spinning reels because I believed that I was a better fisherman because of it. Like I said, now, anytime I don't do well in the tournament, it's not because of my equipment, it's because of me, you know, and that's, and I know that, you know, I'd never have to worry about my equipment out there. It's, it always runs flawless. I've never had a, you know, a real breakdown. I've broken a rod here and there, but I'm telling you over the last five, six years, I've probably broken maybe one or two rods, but think about the abuse we put these things through, you know, and, and I mean, there was one rod, one. Uh, so I've broken three rods. I think in the, uh, for how long I've been using the, the Daiwa stuff. And one of them was brand new rod, you know, shipped to me. I went out first cast, I snapped the rod on the cast. So it was, it was damaged in shipping. And, you know, the other ones, they were falling apart. I, I used them for three, four years and they finally just took a toll. And it could have been, you know, I probably stepped on it. And if you think about it, people go out and they, they think there's something wrong with the rod that it was defective. Well, either you or your partner stepped on it the day before you know on the deck of the rod and it collapsed that actual tube on there and you know you went and cast the next day or you set the hook and it was already fractured and that's how it broke so mm-hmm. um but for how much fishing we do we run around you know it's it's crazy uh, it is wild. you know how durable they are and you know like i said now if there's a technique that i'm not familiar with you know i just get the setup that you know, one of our guys designed for that technique and I can go and roll and know that that guy that's really good at it, you know, mm-hmm. skipping docks, I'll use the howl rod. I'll use the Ishman row frog rod. If I'm going to throw a rod, you know, a frog, mm-hmm. if I'm going to throw a drop shot, I'm going to throw the drop shot rod that I designed, you know? So it's just, you know, it's a, it's a confidence builder to go out and fish that stuff. Yeah. It is definitely nice when you know, you don't have to worry about your equipment and then if something does fail, well, it does, obviously it sucks, but like when it's you, it feels way better because that's something you can improve on yourself. Yeah. Not like, dang, I have this product that like, doesn't, you know, cut it for me. Yeah. That's yeah. Never a good feeling. Yeah. Um, we have a good question here from T Chang. Um, and it's talking about the power shot. Uh, do you power shot? And if so, how often do you power shot? You know, I definitely use a power shot, um, you know, maybe once a year. Uh, really it's just when those fish are shallow and there's, uh, you know, the right kind of cover for it, you know, the right kind of grass, right kind of, uh, lay downs or different things that you're going to fish. And, and, uh, you, you know, I use quite a bit. Um, I just, I use a seven, three medium heavy. Uh, it's a multi-purpose rod that, that I designed for, you know, under that Tatula elite series. Um, I use a Tatula elite reel and then I run, 16 pound fluorocarbon on there and uh i use the fc sniper uh sunline stuff and then you know i use uh i just use a, a offset shank worm hook that's just a gamagatsu offset shank worm hook it's, it's not a heavy wire uh it's heavy enough that i'm not going to bend it out with that 16 pound you know it's it's light enough that you don't have to set the hook really hard 
and then just a quarter ounce uh, or a three eighths, depending on the, on where you're fishing uh, arc tungsten uh, weight. And it is very effective. It's a great technique. Uh, you know, the only thing I don't like about it is that your line likes to twist and I can't run braid to fluorocarbon on a back uh, bait caster. I've tried it, but I break the, the line on the hook set too often. So I run straight fluoro. Um, really, if it's a technique that I'm going to do all day, I'll run two rods. One sits in the rod box and halfway through the day, if my line starts getting twisted too much, I'll just pull the one I've been fishing, throw it in the rod box, pull out that new one. Or I'll just take like 30 feet of line and cut it off and retie, you know, but after a while I get down in that spool too far and that's why I have to pull out that new one. That's, that's the only downfall for me uh, for running that power shot, but it hasn't hindered me. I can fish it all day and, and it's, it is very effective. Heck yeah. Well, Brent, I have, I have about two more questions here for you here, and then we're going to have some fun questions to, okay. to wrap up the show. But Andy, do you have anything for Brent before mm-hmm. I dive into him? Um, at this moment, I mean, it's been pretty thorough, so I'm just I'm kind of flowing here. So if I think of one, I'll kind of throw it out there. I think you're still daydreaming over power shot. Andy loves the power shot. I do love a power shot. Yes, yes. I was uh, thinking of a fish catch that we had in the tournament that we won together two summers ago on the power yes. shot. Yeah, it was yes. good times. Avid <laughs> uh, power shatters up here. Um, so. With your style of fishing, um, with the new format change for MLF, do you see any adjustments or anything in your game, or is it going to be same game plan? Same game plan for me. Um, you know, I don't feel like I really changed too much coming into this. Um, you know, I'm fine with it. Just tell me what we're going to do. I'll go and do it. Um, you know, I it'll be different for sure. Um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I'm fine with it. Whatever's, you know, better for – you know, the greater good, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. So if everyone wants to do that, let's do it. Heck yeah. And dude, I, I love that you say like, whatever the game, like whatever it is, like, let's go do it. Don't really care the format. I love that. And I'm no Ken Duke, so I'm not, I can't back up the stats, but to me, I feel like you're one of the most consistent anglers there on the tour because dude, I did from, from one watching the BPT uh, and then two, I did a I did a binge one day where I was working from the couch and I was writing and I did a binge on all the other all the cup events that are on YouTube, and bro, you're in like every single top t- like top five top three of those things. So whatever you're doing, I agree. Don't change it. <laughs> just, just stay confident and keep fishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my last question before we we get into some fun questions here is uh, obviously you're on Team X two. Uh, we're partnered with X2, and I think one thing is at people with that are buying boats or have boats and are cycling through batters every year that don't really understand is the most like least visible and least sexy part of the boat is the most important part. Yeah, uh, it, honestly, it is. <laughs> yeah, and especially for someone like you that probably I'd argue, uh, I'm sure you fly back from some events to see family and such, but like you probably got, I would bet more, some of the more tr- uh, truck hours. Uh, that I throughout the year with your truck and boat and whatever, but talk about the importance of having quality batteries in your rig, especially for your job where it, it relies on it. Oh, I mean, it, it, yes, yeah, no question. I mean, it's, you know, you can't, you can't go out and fake your, your batteries going out. Meaning that you, know, you go out and 
you have something go down with a rod, you just pick up a new rod. You know, it's, mm-hmm. there's, there's always a backup to a backup with your batteries. You don't, you know, it's, it, it's, you have to have those batteries without them. You're, you're dead in the water. Um, it's not that often where you can have your trolling motor batteries go out and you just go out somewhere and anchor and you can catch them. It's just, it's not going to happen that way. You have to move around. So, um, you know, I've run X2s now for three, four full seasons now. And I have never, now I ran the, the AGM, the, the dual purpose group 31s, 100 amp hour batteries. I ran those for the first, you know, three you know, full seasons. I never drained those things down, my troll motor batteries, ever, not once. And I've never had to jump my cranking battery either. Now think about it. I'm running one dual purpose group 31 cranking battery. All the guys out there right now are running two. I'm running one group 31. I'm running four Garmin 12 inch graphs plus all the accessories on the boat. To this day, I have never had to jump my cranking battery with an X2. I've also never burned up my trolling motor batteries in a day of practice. You know, it's, it's pretty rare to have it happen in the tournament. Uh, I've obviously never done it in the tournament, but on those long days where you you go up North and, and it's in the summer and you're, you're practicing 15 hours one day, I have not burned up those batteries. Mm -hmm. Halfway through the season last year, I ran the lithium batteries. Uh, They just came out with a good, you know, group 31 hundred amp hour lithium battery. And, you know, I ran, I think three or four tournaments on it, never had an issue with those as well. The nice thing about that is when I swapped them out, I took out about 150 pounds of weight from the back of my boat. <laughs> lithium. So, uh, boat, you know, boat gets on pad faster, uh, top end speeds better. My draft is shallower now because of it. So, you know, really it, it, it just seems like a win-win situation. Uh, my dealer English Marine is, is rigging my boat right now. I've got a full setup of, of you know, three 12 volt, uh, X2 lithiums and I'm running the, uh, AGM X2 dual purpose, you know, same thing, group 31, 100 amp hour battery for uh, cranking and all my accessories. So that's the way I've run it. It's, it's worked so far. There's no reason for me to change it. Heck yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always a, it's not the most exciting thing to talk about. And as we, even us at X2, we say exactly that, but uh, it's always something good to talk about because the more education people can get, the less they're going to be being stuck at the ramp trying to start their boat or trolling motors are dying and needing to lift back. So the, the more you can put into the, the, the important parts of a boat, the more you can worry about spending time on the flashy stuff that's on the front deck. Yeah, exactly. You can actually go and, and fish and try that new, you know, rod and reel or whatever, or bait <laughs> yeah. or whatever it is. When you got the power to go do it, you can still do it. If you that's don't right. have power, then run into a store and try to figure out what's wrong with the batteries. Yeah, you're going back home. <laughs> you're typically not in a good mood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had I had one last thing come up. Uh, I wanted to ask. I, there's been this this trend with um, with forward facing sonar of guys using two transducers now, like one on your perspective and then one on like your forward. Um, are you running that now, or are you just doing one transducer still? I'm doing one transducer right now. Um, you know, I have the the bracket that I can turn it to. Uh, uh, the perspective mode or uh, the vertical mode. Um, but really I run vertical so much that I, I haven't even really run perspective that much. 
Uh, the times that I have used it, it's crazy what you can see out there. Believe me, I would love to have both on there. I just, I don't like all the clutter. You know, I don't like having too much up there. It's, it, you know, I would also have to have a, you know, probably a, a third graph up front. I mean, I'm already running four. I, I don't need yeah. to run five. Um, you know, I can accomplish, I feel like I can accomplish the task by running it vertical or swapping it to, uh, uh, to perspective. You know, that's just, I feel like I, I'm effective by doing it. You know, they have that mount to where I can change it if I need to. Right. Uh, that's good enough for me at this point. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to change it. You know, I'm the same guy that earlier in this podcast that talked about how <laughs> Alabama was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And then, you know, fast forward to Paul Elias, just killing all of us on it. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to change things out there and put two uh, transducers on there. But for now, I've been running one uh, for 2023. As of now, I'll be running one as well. Heck yeah. To be fair on the Alabama rig point, I think you're one of like everyone for the most part that thought it was like the dumbest thing they'd ever seen besides the people who were throwing it in Alabama at that time. Yeah. And they were laughing at the rest of the world. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've never seen something change the industry more than than, than that rig right there. It's yeah. nuts. I can't imagine the feeling of someone that knew about it before it was a thing and the, the feeling you had to have of just, you've probably felt immortal at that point. Yeah. Oh, there could gosh. be a second bait though. We could throw out there a flatworm for small mouth or just a drop <laughs> shot for small mouth. Yeah. So yeah, just, so I know you got to run in a in a little bit. So I'm going to, I want to get through these last two questions and we'll let you go. Um, we have a question from Michael Bradley asking, how cold does it have to be for Brett to ditch the Chuck Taylors? <laughs> it's probably pretty cold, but you know what? I've, I've got a, uh, a waterproof pair that I throw on. So that's, awesome. oh, that's fantastic. It's an insulated pair. So, so I will run those a little bit, but uh, yeah, Anthony just says he wears heavier socks. <laughs> you know, Sims wool socks on there and you're good to go. But yeah. <laughs> uh, rain is the one thing that I will ditch the chucks. You know, I got to wear my, my Sims rain boots and uh, you know, believe me, that's the, that's the one time that I'm happy to take the, the chucks off and, and run something different. Wait, you haven't gotten Sims to make your own, you know, branded, you know, model Chuck Taylors. <laughs> 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 Not the Brent. You're not going to make the Brent Aylers. <laughs> no, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. So, Last question of the night. Uh, we asked everybody that's brand new to the show, their first time on uh, this question. And that is, if you could sit down with any three individuals, uh, they don't have to be the fishing industry. They could be alive a thousand years ago or now. It doesn't matter. Um, if you could sit down, have a steak, have a beer and pick their brain, what three individuals would you invite? Oh, man. Um, you know, that's a tough one. You know, I, I have a lot of hobbies outside of fishing, so um, you know, I would probably do something, you know, outside of, of my realm. So on the, in the skiing world, there's a couple of, you know, real famous snow skiers. I, I, I grew up snow skiing. I actually thought I was going to be a snow skier for a long time before I got into fishing. Um, you know, there's a guy named Glenn Plake. That's a, a kind of a marketing icon in the fishing world on, on the extreme skiing kind of free skiing side of things. And, He'd be a fun one. He's a California guy too, which is great. Um, you know, I've, I've recently gotten into mountain biking. Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple guys on the mountain biking downhill tour that, um, 
you know, I would snag one of those guys, probably so a skier, a mountain biker. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm getting into uh, practical shooting. You know, I'm doing a lot of pistol shooting and, and practical, you know, kind of looking at like that three gun stuff. I don't know a lot of guys out there. You know, there's that, um, that McCulloch guy. I think that's his last name, Jerry McCulloch. He's like the okay. icon from the, the, you know, the speed shooting, practical shooting side of things. And, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. So taking a specialist and kind of those three walks for me would be really cool. You, know, you got the skiing and not biking, shooting. Um, you know, getting a group of guys like that together to, to be able to sit down. And, you know, those are my passions. So it's the same thing with people that are watching this show. You know, they're, they're passionate is fishing. And, you know, we're all here because of fishing. And, mm-hmm. You know, I have passions outside of this. And so, you know, I look up to some of these guys that, you know, I've read about and I've watched on TV. And, man, I'd love to sit down and have dinner with them. Heck, yeah. I, I always enjoy – I always enjoy this question regardless of the answers, but I also – have a little bit more enjoyment when people say non-fishing related stuff, because it's kind of a cool deep dive into people's brains of like childhood, you know, sport heroes and stuff like that. Those are the ones I always kind of geek over, but yeah, dude, that I've seen that downhill miking, uh, miking good grief, uh, mountain biking stuff. It, that is nuts. I don't know how people do that. They're pretty crazy. The stuff they're doing now is, you know, it wasn't possible five years ago, 10 years ago, it wasn't even thought of, you know, so it's, it's crazy what they're, what they're doing now. I mean, that's, those guys are nuts. Don't you love that rationale for American sports though? It's like, Hey, look at that. That looks stupid. Let's make that a sport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're like, so, Hey, it's probably could really hurt us. Let's make it a sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, it Brett, <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, Seriously, thank you so much for uh, for taking time tonight to chat with us. Appreciate you, uh, you know, dropping some knowledge on everybody. And uh, man, we're going to be keeping up with you this year, and hope to get you back on the show here soon. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was, it was an absolute pleasure, and uh, would love to be back. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. Thanks, Brent. Yeah, you, you have a good night. Yeah, Thanks, looking guys. forward to uh, watching you this season. Yeah, have All a good right, 2023 dude. season. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, we'll see you, Brent. See you guys. Are you are you still geeking out over the power shot? Lots of things. Lots of things. <laughs> like the like the night crawler and stretching out like I'm like, ooh, like I could see where that'd be really juicy in a lot of areas. So like I was actually talking to somebody here recently and I think I'm going to do it this summer on off days. I think I'm gonna start live bait fishing on Erie to try and figure out where to find and get bigger bass to bite than normal and just like dragging live bait in places i've never tried to see if there's bass that live there here's a thought why don't you just throw a camera down there <sighs> because i gotta figure out how to get them to bite you're not gonna <laughs> figure out how to get them to bite if you're throwing live bait but brent did nightcrawler saw what happened 12 inch worm like there's yeah, ways but, oh. What That's are you going to imitate with a live shiner that isn't? Oh, I'm not going to drag a live shiner, shiner but I'm going to drag crayfish. But there's a lot of different things you can mimic a crayfish with. So why wouldn't you just throw like a football jig or? A... Dude, I'm just trying to think as a guide, okay? Like, <laughs> I got to figure out how to put fish in the boat for my clients on bad days and or if they just want to target individual big fish. And... Well, live bait's going to do that. That's for sure. 
oh, no, I'm not going to do it with clients. I'm going to do it with myself to figure out how to catch them in different areas than I ever have. So mm. just some another way to learn, to continue to learn. Start forever, forever a student. Hey, hey, easy there. We, have, we haven't released that yet. Oh, sorry. Now you just <laughs> did, didn't you? <laughs> Coming soon. Fast forward, clip, erase, reboot. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I want to see you live line like an eight inch perch and see what happens. Oh, that'd be that'd be wild. Like also this fall, real fast, back step like four or five weeks ago. I was catching smallies in groups of perch and I had smallmouth spitting up like four and a half, five inch perch at the boat. That's wild. Yeah. Like when I catch a perch, it'd be like a 14 to 15 incher. But if I caught a smallmouth, it would be a giant and be this big around in that school. I could literally watch the perch move and like the smallmouth chase the perch on my mega live when i found them it was my last time out it was wild i'd rip a blade and catch a bunch of perch and all of a sudden the smallmouth would move in and i would watch them chase the little ones out of the school forward facing sonar is awesome when the fish aren't afraid of forward facing sonar because yeah. you get to really watch how they behave i know some people don't like it but like it's such a cool tool from just a, a learning standpoint it's awesome to watch them behave. The first thing that I thought to my that came to my mind and I didn't have in a boat was throwing my HUD 68 special in yellow perch in that 54 foot of water and just ticking and waiting eight hours for it to get down. But I was like, if I had this right now, I bet I would catch a giant smallmouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you got to try it. No, you yeah, have to. It might be the situation next November on that school. I'm going to go back out there and if they're there, I'm going to have a HUD tied on just to try it. Look at you go. You're going to forget because it's a year from now. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one thing to mention really fast because uh, we still have a bunch of people on here um, is Omnia Fishing is running a giveaway for Daiwa Reels right now. Uh, a link is it's in the, the comments. A link is also for if you're watching us on YouTube later or listening to MP3 at a later time. Um is also in the show notes. So just click on the show description uh, descriptions have a link right there. You guys can go and get entered. Um, and obviously a easy way to try to win some freaking sick reels that we talked about tonight with Brent are pretty dope. So go check those out uh, as well. If you want to order stuff on Omnia, just a reminder for everybody, we do have a discount code that can save you guys 10% on your whole order. We have all of our discount codes with all of our amazing show partners down below on every episode. So you guys can always take advantage of those. Um, but Andy, tonight was fun. Tonight was a lot of fun. I feel like we only touched on a little bit of what we wanted to talk about with yeah. Brent. I think we're going to have to do a part two yeah. coming up here later this year. But we have a, a pretty cool show schedule for you guys coming up here forward. And I'll actually I'll, I'll rattle off what's what's coming so you guys get the kind of inside scoop. Um, so Friday's episode, we're going to have on last year's uh, Hobie BOS Kayak Angler of the Year. Jordan Marshall on. So for all of you Tennessee Southern folk, he's a dang hammer. So look forward to that episode. Uh, next Tuesday night live week from today, we're having on Fletcher Shryock. Mm-hmm. And nice. then for Friday's episode, one of the people's favorites is making his, uh, his fifth, sixth visit on this show. Uh, it's been a long time, too long since we've had him on. Mr. Keith Tuma is coming back to join oh, us. Jeez. So have a host fun tomorrow night. Keith Tuma. 
That's right. Our show host is making his his, his visit back to the show. Um, well, guys, we're going out. On, we're trying to go out on bangers this year. It's going to be fun. We're going to have our favorite guests on. Uh, we're going to have a whole New Year's party show deal, like at the end of the month. Okay, that'll be on on the last last Friday. We're going to try to do it. We're going to do it live. We're going to do it actually. Oh my gosh, there's so many details I'm leaving out right now. Uh, December thirtieth, dual live stream. With Alex Rudd, our good buddy, we're gonna have a whole group. So if you guys remember oh, episode gosh, 300, we're gonna get canceled. <laughs> so it's not gonna be as bad as that episode. But we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna rain in. We're gonna celebrate this past year, rain in the new year with a whole group of friends. So do not miss live on Friday, December 30th. That's gonna be a lot of fun. But to keep this trend going, um, two weeks from today, we're getting Spencer Sheffield back on the show for Tuesday Night Live. That one's going to be fun. And then that Friday, uh, we're probably going to add a couple more people to that show. Or right, as of right now, we have Hayden Anderson, who's a guide over in Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about some very sneaky like ways that people don't really talk about for catching smallmouth. And my goal is to get somebody from the south as well and also the west so that we're talking about all smallmouth around Ooh, the country smallmouth. and talk about some like sneaky, sneaky ways to catch them and unlock some juice. Might piss some people off, but this is what you guys are here for, to learn. And so am I going to have to divulge my secrets, too? Yes, but, you're forced against your will. Plan contract. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't care. And but, then, so our last Tuesday Night Live of the year is TBD right now. But if I can get it, it might be one of the coolest shows we've had. If I can get him, if he's free, really. He's already said he wants to do a show. But he's if we we this would be the stamp. And like the coolest things we've done, Ooh, we can get them on. So I don't want to divulge that. Just I'm yet. intrigued because you haven't even told me. No, so, I haven't like, told. I, I'm not privy to any of this. Well, I'm privy to some of the information, but I want to like take a step back real fast and say what an end of the year after we had Spencer on the show. He had just saying we're gonna break down <laughs> Spencer's banner year. It's gonna like, be pretty sick. So that one's going to be fun. We're going to dive. We're going to cough up some juice with Spencer, but it's going to be a pretty sick month. Uh, Seriously. Thank you guys so much for the constant support throughout the year. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be a heck of a month and 2023 is going to be even better. Yes, Anthony. So do I, that's why I scheduled it. Uh, I swear we could do a small mouth specific show out there, but I know there's actually, there's actually a few good small mouth specific talk shows or podcasts out there. The things like smallly talk, yeah, podcast. that's a good show over there too um but like we're 2023 is looking freaking awesome and we have a lot in store for you guys apparel is coming i promise i'm trying to get it done within the next couple of weeks it's there we're just waiting on some very vital information to confirm it and make it public so you guys can get hoodies sun shirts uh coffee mugs they like thermoses yetis all that stuff hats um a lot of it we're really excited to share with you guys but a fun Last month of 2022 for shows. And then uh already Big have a couple coming. scheduled for 2023 in January <laughs> to kickstart the year off in the right way. But for real, you guys are amazing. Always appreciate the constant support. This platform is freaking sick. Like this is, we have, we don't do this just because like we do this because we love it. We do it because you guys love it and you guys show up. Uh, and we learn a lot about bass fishing. Yeah. Can I throw something in there real fast on the Lure Lab side, which is our new show? Guys, if you're listening here and you are um, 
following on Instagram, throw an inbox message of what you want to see in the future so I can find guys to bring them on to talk about that specific technique and bait. So mm-hmm. please do that because what we always strive to do is to tailor our shows to the viewers and what everyone wants to see. And it just helps us even more bring the best content possible to you. Yeah. If you haven't checked out Lure Lab yet and you're tackle junkie or you want to learn more specifically about certain techniques, certain baits, uh, that is the show for you. Andy has been doing a great job with that. He's been getting on people that are known in the industry for being good at such technique or such bait and are, know the very minute nuances that you can do with each and setups and all that jazz. He's been getting the right personnel on for it. So it's taken that show to new heights and uh, highly encourage you guys to go check that out. They're 20 minute shows. So like they're, they're quick straight to the point, giving you the juice quick. You don't have to listen to like Andy and I talk and ramble for an hour and a half. Like we're doing right now to find the juice. That one just unlocks it for 20 minutes straight. So you'll, you'll enjoy that one. Um, again, just we're really excited for what's coming. I know we've been saying that for probably the past five months, but like anything that's worth doing, we've been spending a lot of time in the background making sure we're doing it right. So yeah, once we can like, do it, we can actually shut up and stop saying we're excited what's coming. Because- I feel like the back half of this year has been nothing but like planning for the future. And it's mm-hmm. it's awesome and exciting. Yeah. yeah. Helicopter lure. Yeah, Fantastic. I think it's in store. It <laughs> <laughs> should be a show, the Lure Lab show. <coughs> Do not throw this. <laughs> the Lunker Hunt Spider. Like, yeah. yeah, we should have that one too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's good. <laughs> Andy, do you have anything for the folks coming up? If anybody wants to go and catch some steelhead or anything like that? Well, so steelhead, um, I'm actually going to run a winter special for Western New York steelhead fishing. There'll be five hour trips for 175 for one and 250 for two, just because we're limited in time, like fishable time till about the end of January. And then come February, my price is actually going up to 300 for one, 400 for two, 500 for three. Um, We're averaging like 10 to 30 bites a day on the trips when we get out and really catch some really quality fish but uh what i really want to get to is april scheduling is on a hold at the current but may and june are booking up really fast for smallmouth fishing and that's probably my absolute favorite time to catch them it's pre-spawn spawn and post-spawn all within the two months we can target them a variety of different ways blades swim baits drop shot ned crankbaits, jerkbaits, spinnerbaits. Like, we can have a lot of fun in those months. Um, I did have a slight price increase of $50 per day, so we're at 500 for a full day. Uh, you get to ride in my brand-new bass boat, Camus CX-19, and we will catch a ton of smallmouth if you want to get out and jam on them. Like, big one. Yeah, like uh, big fish last year, client caught was almost six and a half. I got two that were six and three quarters, like, big small mouth it was a fun year heck yeah 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 well get in touch so. guys his social media and email is down below if you guys ever need it. it's on every show description and, and i think that i think that wraps it up i think one more thing and looking way ahead but we talked about it today so it's relevant um well we talked about it today in our internal meeting but uh we're going to be at the classic and red crest this year so if you guys are going to be around at those events hit us up you know let's grab a beer let's let's meet up 
Yeah. If you should do a meetup, let us know. We can do a meetup at one of our booths and get some people around and shoot the shit, talk some fishing. But let us know you're going to be at those events. It's going to be fun. But Andy, I think that uh, that's a wrap for tonight. As always, folks. Hold on. This comment, but we're going to do it. Bailey wants me to get in a kayak next year. So I think we're going to switch it up and we're going to go largemouth or smallmouth fishing with ice rods and kayaks. So I see. I think I have the upper hand because I already did that this past year. Frick, screw it. Can't do it. Forrest and I <laughs> caught five plus pounders on ice rods for smallmouth. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be no, fun, though. We can do it I, on my bass boat and catch them on ice rods. Maybe we have to do bring some bring some challenge videos to the Serious Angler channel. I don't know. It's up to you guys. So here's the thing. We're going to lay it out. We're, we're, we're honest with all of you guys. Uh, YouTube sucks in the fact that, like, long-form content, like hour and 20 minutes going on right now, clashes with, like, a 20-minute fishing video. So YouTube doesn't like showing both. <laughs> but if you guys want to see fishing content, we will put in – I'm not saying we're going to put out one a week or, t- like, that sort of deal, but, like, maybe once a month. If you guys want to see something like that, let us know. And Andy and I will go out and fish, uh, film some fun challenge style videos where I throw As long Andy as it's on a body of water that you won't get decued from a tournament because, you know, I'm a licensed guide. So we got to be careful where we go. Yeah, but I'm not paying you to guide me. So there you go. They can shoot that, it. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you guys want to see fishing content on this channel and not just Andy and I's personal YouTube channels, let us know. We'll have to do, we can do some serious angler stuff and we do have some trips planned. So hopefully there'll be some more coming this year, but Andy, I think let's wrap this thing up folks. Appreciate you guys, especially if you stuck around this whole episode. Appreciate you guys. If you're listening on MP3, please give us a rating and review. Helps us out big time. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you guys are watching on YouTube, have a good night, folks. We will see y'all on Friday. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you like some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.